Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. All right, so hear me out. How about the fruit roll-up bowl? You're kind of... I'm not a big Pop-Tarts fan. Cheez-Its are good. But man, if you really want to get me on a nostalgic roll when it comes to snacks I loved as a kid, fruit roll-ups. Did you see earlier this year the TikTok trend where they're freezing the roll-ups around ice cream? No, but you have my attention. The problem is, is some folks were still eating the plastic. Oh, yeah. You got to remove the plastic first. I remember fruit roll-ups as a kid, like they would have like, I don't know, like dinosaurs or something in the fruit roll-up so you could like peel it out and you could eat the dinosaur. I just rolled it up into a ball and shoved it in my mouth and just chomped on the whole thing. Gave it the big league chew look. Yeah. Yeah, big time chew. It's not exactly a gummy, but it it's kind of the same idea. Sure. Fruit roll ups were the best. Also, yes, like the the fruit by the foot was another one. Yeah. We had also uh, like gushers. Gushers was a bit too pricey for my cheap parents, so I had to go with the generic fruit chews, but they were still good. I remember also like. Growing up, Fruit Loops was also quite the luxury. We would maybe get it once every couple, maybe more than a couple of months, maybe once every two years, or once a year. Listen, listen, the cereals were basic in the household. Cheerios and Frosted Mini Wheats. The regular Mini Wheats can kick rocks. It didn't get good until they were frosted. Frosted was a game changer. I'm even okay with the strawberry ones. But Fruit Loops... When mom bought a fresh box of that, you opened up the bag, you poured your first bowl. That was clean living. (laughs) It didn't get much better than that after your mom was screaming at you to get up every morning. Sure. That was my alarm clock. Well, yeah, kind of a given. She she would scream up the stairs like, come on, get out of bed. You got to be at school in 30 minutes. 
<laughs> and then I thought to myself, Fruit Loops. If I don't get up, I don't get my Fruit Loops. Right? Welcome to the game, Mitch Fortner, alongside Trey Coverdale and Travion Berkland wearing his Michael Jackson Thriller hoodie today. The phone number is 537-1350. We're on with you the full two hours today. We'll get a lot of K-State basketball talk, including... Looks like the uh, the season opener for 2023-24 has been announced, and it didn't really feel like a strong day recruiting-wise for K-State yesterday as the, uh, the, the door closed on those exiting that wanted to exit the NBA draft and come back for another year of college. But I got to say, Troy, I finally finished Ozark uh-huh. yesterday. And? Finished it last night, and here's the deal. I should have known better because I'd mentioned just a couple of days ago as I watched Ozark for the first time and I got it done in less than a month. It's only four seasons and um, there were total there was 44 total episodes and uh, they're all about an hour. And I mean, right off the bat, right off the bat, high drama, intense. My anxiety was through the roof. I don't really have a whole lot of anxiety. I've never had to deal with that. And then, of course, it'd be like kind of like a roller coaster ride. Things it seemed like it'd be good, and then it picks up again. Right? Things the waters calm a little bit, and then the waters rippling, and then you get to the finale. And I thought, all right, things are going to be okay. the The least worst of the really bad people are going to make it <laughs> out all right. And I'm trying to do my best to not give away any spoilers. But then, of course, right at the end. With 15 minutes to go, it completely hits the fan. Once again, I was like, there's 15 minutes left. How can you build this storyline in 15 minutes and keep my drama in it, keep my anxiety in the show? It did. It did to the very last second of the show. And I got to say, that was a job well done by Jason Bateman and crew. Job well done. I was was worried that Ozark was going to be overhyped. Because I remember when it was probably after season two. Season two is where I really started to hear about it. People were talking about it, how crazy it was, and couldn't wait for season three. Couldn't wait for season four. Oh, season four is going to be a split series season. You're going to get the first seven episodes, and then the last seven episodes a little later on than that. It was the talk of streaming television at that point. And I gave it some time to cool off, and then I finally watched it. And I binged it. And I, luckily for me, I got to watch the whole show without any spoilers, although my mom tried. Right. Oh, she brought up a character. I was like, Mom, zip it. I'm not there yet. We'll talk about it once it's over. And then we talked about it once it's over. And then she starts bringing up another. I'm like, Mom, have you never heard of a spoiler? Eat the Fruit Loops, and let's call it a day. But no, it was, it was a very solid show. I, I've seen so many of them now, it's hard to rank them. There, it, Ozark's not quite in my top five, but I'd probably put it in my top ten. Top ten. And I think wrapping it up in four seasons didn't drag it out. Okay. It wasn't, you know, unnecessary episodes. I mean, every part of the of the show, every part of, the, of an episode was pretty crucial to the story. So... It wasn't a whole lot of unnecessary filler. I mean, sometimes these shows will have maybe like a flashback episode, and they did that once in a while. But it was all very, very good television. So congratulations to Jason Bateman, even though the show's been wrapped up for a couple of years now, it feels like. So now I need a recommendation on what to do now. 
What what do I watch next, Troy? I'm gonna stay away. I gotta kind of even things out now. I need a good comedy. Maybe Ted Lasso might be my next show. And I saw Australia is coming out with their own version of The Office. Oh ho! And I think they'll be the twelfth country to have their own version really? of The Office now. Of course, we only know about the American version and the British and the British version. And I've watched both, and both, obviously, I mean, the American version is my favorite show of all time. I've heard the Saudi Arabian version is actually pretty good. Is that serious? Yeah, Are you serious yeah, about I've, that? I've seen some clips that have turned up. The, it, the Christmas episode has been pretty solid from what I saw. But I guess, see, that, that that's another thing, like the Christmas episode or episodes of the British version of The Office were like the best ones. But that was a show that, I mean, that lasted like 14 episodes. It wasn't long at all. But the big difference about the Australian version is they're going to have a female lead. The, a female Michael Scott, Scott, I guess nobody else has really done that yet. So I'll give it a try when it comes around. But I need, an, I need a show that is already, is already done. I don't want to jump into a show that's you know maybe a couple of seasons, two or three seasons old, but they're going to keep renewing and keep going on and adding, adding seasons. So I don't want to jump in halfway through. I want a show that's done now. So and I I think Ted Lasso just just wrapped up. Mm-hmm. I actually watched Veep. Julia okay. Louis Dreyfus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, is that raunchy? Yeah, a raunchy, foul mouth, dirty Julia Louis Dreyfus. <laughs> I signed on real quick, <laughs> and she did not disappoint. Oh man, it can kind of that's a show that can kind of drag out a little bit. Right. Like the stick can get kind of get old. But once the story got good, like it took a little while to get into it, that was a solid show as well. Much better than The West Wing? I've never watched The oh, West okay. Wing. All right. I, 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 I've not been – I didn't watch The West Wing, uh, but it's amazing the idealism that some who have watched it came away with. Then they find out what our politics really are. I need a distraction of – like – I. We haven't really talked a lot lately about the recent developments of conference realignment. That's a topic I really try to stay away from until we have something concrete. Right. Because it's just a lot like Dennis Dodd. That's that's been the recent one, of course. You know, we know the Big 12 is still looking to expand. Sure. The, the latest piece of information, and this is a couple of days old, and I know that, is Colorado. Coach Prime... Mm-hmm trying to get Colorado out of the Pac-12, and this is just my opinion, bringing up Coach Prime, he, he's trying to get the Pac-12, or get the uh, get Colorado out of the Pac-12 because, boy, are they continuing to embarrass themselves. They can't even lock down the CW to get a TV rights deal, and the Big 12 is, is surging right now. Now, will they limp back to the Big 12? It sounds like they certainly want to. And I think they got to repay their dues a little bit, take the shame card, and take, uh, you know, maybe put their first four games like, because like they get their first four or five games, it seems like, on either Fox or ESPN. Yep. Yep. And it, I mean, they do have a pretty interesting non con. I mean, TCU and Nebraska, they're, they're going to get some good TV slots, but Coach Prime is going to get prime time. One of the things that amuses me about this potential move and some of what has been said in regards to them coming back to the Big 12 as it pertains to football. One of the things that was played up so big when Colorado moved to the Pac-12 was, oh, it's going to boost our recruiting in California. 
Now they want to come back to the Big 12 because it's going to boost our recruiting in Texas. Yes, Coach Prime, that is, Deion Sanders, that wants is to— just hilarious wants to me. Wants to recruit Texas. That is just hilarious to me. He wants a bigger footprint in yes. Texas. And really, I don't know what the footprint is right now for Colorado in the state of Texas, but it's, it's not anywhere close that Deion Sanders wants it to be, that's for sure. No, no, not even close. But it's just an interesting turn given the history of how things played. But the thing is, like, it's just, you know, Colorado people have have said just very briefly that they're interested. They, they would like to do what they could to stay in the Pac-12, and maybe that's just, you know, kind of treading water, just being nice to the Pac-12, not being jerks until they do jump ship and just keeping things cool for a while. Like kind of like a uh, Wendy Bird type of situation. Like, yeah, I'm gonna stab you in the back, but I'm gonna talk nice to you until that actually happens. <laughs> um, right. But you know, other than that, like Colorado joined the Big Twelve again. You know, yes, you get the Denver market. I'm sure that's great. But the, uh, we, we've been there, done that with Colorado. Right. Them limping back to the Big Twelve is just, in my opinion, just hilarious. But they would still get, I think, a, a clean cut like everybody else would with the revenue share. Mm-hmm. Nothing would change there. They're going to get the money that they would want. So things is co- things would be kosher. I mean, there's no argument from really either side, I think, that just the deal has to be done. And, you know, and that'll happen, I'm sure, at some point. I think Colorado's on their way back. That's just my opinion. But now Memphis has come up mm-hmm. once again. And this is from... Uh, media in Memphis covering the Memphis Tigers that have brought this up once again. And Memphis has been in the discussion before. Right. And, is, and recently, of course, you know, UConn has been brought up again. Gonzaga as basketball, uh, a basketball partner, uh, has been brought up again. But it's been a while since we've heard the Memphis name. And it, it, I think Memphis is a lot more interesting than Colorado because they've never been a Power 5 program. They have been trying for a long time to become a Power 5 program to where they've really boosted their academics. They've added a lot of uh, you know, facilities, sports facilities. They're enhancing a lot of their sports. Uh, and they're, even the Liberty Bowl. They, they're pouring in a lot of money now to do renovations mm-hmm. to the Liberty Bowl. They're trying to They're trying to build their brand into being more flashier, and they're trying to get the attention of – the the power five programs and they've been doing this for over a decade now though and nobody has decided to bring memphis in so that's where to me it gets interesting but they've been trying they've been trying they've been trying to get the attention from everybody else and maybe the the big 12 is now finally interested a big part of that has to be just the market itself you are talking about in memphis the community literally being able to pull from not just the Tennessee side, but the Mississippi side. Well, and so it gives a, a different okay. flavor to what fans are used to in SEC country. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, that Memphis has been even though they're in the American, just Memphis as an as you know, a point in our United States and where it is geographically. Well, Memphis is in the South, and it's always been considered SEC country. Mm-hmm. So. An opportunity to steal a piece of land from the SEC footprint? Well, that is def- definitely a possibility for the Big 12, but it's not a top 50 market. No. They only have one professional team. Right. And that's an NBA team. And it took some work to get that NBA team. 
Yeah, meanwhile, I mean Denver, you know, Colorado, Boulder being a suburb of Denver. I mean, that's you that that's a top 20 market. They have all four of the major sports uh, teams when it comes to, you know, professional sports. And it overshadows college athletics by a long shot out there. It really does. It's a shame. From a facility standpoint, they could utilize a number of changes to Folsom Field in general. Um, from a basketball standpoint, the still called Coors Event Center, even though Coors doesn't have the naming rights anymore to it, uh, that is an odd facility and always has been uh, to me for just the way that it's constructed. But it, that could use a lot of upgrades as well. They could they could stand to give it a treatment that we did for Bramlage in terms of some of the boxes and some of those types of things. The thing is, they don't draw for it. That That's what stinks. My, my guy, Tad Boyle, as head coach there, has had a roller coaster in trying to keep it uh, as a relevant program in the Pac-12. Big 12 is going to be even tougher for him. Would you, would you rather add Memphis or add like a basketball only like Gonzaga? Because there's a lot of people that believe that just adding Gonzaga, sure, you're now coast to coast, but it's just basketball. Mm-hmm. It's not really a big advantage when it comes to the revenue and because it, it's basketball. Well, and and that's where what the conference office is up to makes a difference in that Brett Yormark is playing the hand that he believes basketball can land a separate contract or an enhanced revenue stream beyond what it what it brings in. That's the hand he's playing and I and why he wants to build basketball that much further. I think it's an interesting play on his part because we know where football is, but it's been talked about for how long that the CBS tournament fee is, you know, what it is. Turner uh, CBS and Turner paying that big billion dollar check. Think about how much more they really could get if it goes on the market again in the near term future. And so your mark is trying to basically take take the measure of where things are in terms of college football and where realignment is shaking out and recognizing that, you know, those revenues are going to kind of start to thin out a little bit once you get settled into essentially who the top four power conferences are. And what does that mean in terms of money then at that point? Where can you add to what you're already doing? And that's where basketball comes into play. Yeah, I just I'm not sure if I'm the biggest fan at this point in time of being interested in adding a, a program like Memphis after you've already just added four teams from the American. Mm-hmm. And just to me, the bigger goal should be the four corner schools. That should be a much bigger plan than than throwing too much attention at Memphis. You land the four corner schools, or at least go, or just Colorado, Arizona, Colorado, Arizona. Throw in Gonzaga, and I saw this floated earlier today. I think it was Tim Fitzgerald who floated this one, mentioning. Memphis in the mix, Yukon and South Florida. That's six. That would put you at 20 for basketball. 
19 overall for football. It's an interesting mix. I don't like odd numbers. No, and I'm with you there. You would have to figure out something else there. But that was what was at least out there in terms of what was discussed. Let's take a break. When we come back, K-State Hoops, according to John Rothstein, has added a season opener. And for the first time in over 20 years, it sounds like the season is not starting in Bramlage Coliseum. That's coming up next. Not to be too dramatic about this, but I mean, talking with DY yesterday, it felt like you know, just things in either, you know the portal or those that were maybe K-State was waiting on to exit the NBA draft and come back to school or look to transfer just didn't work out in K-State's favor yesterday. But this was interesting. And this goes back to a conversation I remember Y Thompson and, and I had with Jerome Tang on an episode of Wildcat Insider. And I just asked the question, you know, like, are you looking to build tougher non-con schedules? Maybe limit the amount of cupcake games in Bramlage Coliseum and, and try to play more games against quality opponents. And he said, you know, in a run roundabout way, he said yes. You know, looking to enhance the non-con schedule a little bit, make it a little bit tougher. Uh, went into more detail than that, of course, but that enhancement of the non-con schedule happened earlier today. It's not official announced by K-State yet, but John Rostein, of course, a very reliable source, tweeted this out earlier today that he has confirmed rumors that K-State and the University of Southern California will take part in a newly formed tip-off event. This will be taking place in Sin City, Las Vegas, in the arena that AEW's Double or Nothing just took place. That's the T-Mobile Arena that's right by MGM Grand in Las Vegas on Monday, November 6th. If you may be thinking, well, you know, K-State could sneak in a non-con game before that, well... Uh, K-State's non-con in the regular season started last year on Monday, November 7th. So, I mean, this is right on time to start a season. Now, they won't be the only game that plays. As Troy mentioned in his Game Sports Update, Oregon and Georgia would be the other game. Now, USC just recently received a commitment from one of the top players in the 2023 class at a high school. And he just so happens to come from, if there was a royal family in basketball, it would probably be this family. A freshman that's going to be on that team for USC this year is Bronny James. Mm -hmm. Bronny is a nickname. That's LeBron James Jr. He's 6'3", McDonald's All-American, four-star recruit. I think I saw him as high as number 27 when it comes to the best players in the country out of high school for the class of 2023. Well, my response to that is, you know, K-State's going to have themselves three freshmen out of high school, four-star guys, mm-hmm. ready to compete against Bronny James. Um, but more on the schedule for K-State. I mean, this is, first of all, very rare that K-State would start its season Outside of Manhattan, Kansas. Right. I mean, that's something, you know, Bob Huggins didn't do that, uh, even though he's here for one year. I mean, there may not be right. an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Frank Martin, Bruce Weber, they never did that. 
Got to go back to the 2002-2003 season, the last time K-State opened up the regular season outside of Manhattan, Kansas. I would, uh, if, if you guys want the trivia question here, I could give you the trivia question. If you remember, can you think back to the 0-2-0-3 season, the opponent, and what was the location when K-State opened up a regular season the last time outside of Manhattan, Kansas? Ooh. See, if you asked me, if you just threw this out at me, Troy, earlier, like, like right now, mm-hmm. and this was reversed, and I didn't already look up the answer, I wouldn't have a clue. Right. I do not have an educated guess. There's part of me that wants to put it at an SEC school just because and say Ole Miss. See, the thing is, it was a tip-off tournament. Ah, okay. So it was in the U.S. Virgin Islands. It happened to be the Paradise Jam. Ah, okay. And K-State played BYU to open up the Paradise Jam. They lost by 11 points, but that's the last time K-State opened up the schedule outside of Manhattan, Kansas. But the thing is... K-State is now slated to face six Power 5 opponents, or Power 6 opponents, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the non-con, and that's not including Wichita State. So when you add Wichita State, you now have seven, you could call marquee matchups, in just the non-con. You have LSU, let's not forget LSU, I mean, that's a road game in Baton Rouge, and that's got to be like, well, K-State... Recruits in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Who this ten? I don't want to butcher this, but is it the Louisiana Louisiana Maniacs? Or I can't remember what he called him, but there's just a different breed of basketball players in the state of Louisiana. Let's see what else does K State have? Um, they have on the non-con the trip to the Bahamas, Miami, Providence, Georgia. They'll play two of those three teams. You have Villanova and Nebraska visiting Bramlage Coliseum. Wichita State game will be played in Kansas City. And now you have USC on the schedule. So there you have it. Jerome Tang and company are putting themselves together a very noticeable and a competitive non-con schedule. Mm Mm-hmm. And right out of the gate, K-State's going to be playing, of course, one of the top freshmen in the class of 2023. The media will be buzzing about this game. And what's honestly unfortunate about that is K-State's going to be very little part of that buzz. It didn't matter who Bronny James faced in that first game. Right. It's just him playing his first game because he's LeBron James' son. And the thing is, like, I don't even know LeBron James will be at that game. The NBA regular season will already be underway. True. You know, maybe he could pull some strings and, hey, my son's playing this certain day in November, November 6th. Can we maybe move this around so the Lakers aren't playing? The other aspect of that that I think of is it's going to be the first time out for Bronny and his teammates. What kind of an impact will he have immediately in terms of how they're going to want to play? Trying to scout that game is going to be problematic. The last time K-State had six games against Power 6 opponents in the non-con, go back to the 2014-15 season where K-State played, that was thanks to the Maui Invitational where Mm -hmm. you played 
three games, Purdue, Arizona, Pitt were in there. Then you had games against Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Georgia uh, were the non-con for K-State. But again, the, the LSU game, that's just a true road game, Baton Rouge. Uh, and uh, that's not there's the Big 12 SEC challenge. No more. Now it's just the Big East Big 12 battle, and that's when Villanova comes in. Villanova sucked last yes. year, but they also had a coaching change in the off season that they really weren't expecting. True. Wait, Villanova. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Jay Wright. I, never mind. I'm getting. Uh, I got them mixed up with Georgetown. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, last offseason, last offseason, Jay Wright leaving yeah. Villanova was an unexpected thing, and the timing of it was late in the in the process for what normally would be expected. But USC is going to be a very, I mean, absolutely a real quality opponent to begin yes. the year. I mean, without Bronny James, I, that's the thing. I don't know really a thing about USC other than Bronny James is going to be a player for them next year. I mean, they were an NCAA tournament team last year. 22-11. and 22-11. and 11, They went 14-6. and six in, I mean, it's the Pac-12, you know, but. Lost their Pac-12 tournament opener. Lost their NCAA tournament opener. Which happened to be against Michigan State. Michigan State. State. Mm-hmm. Michigan State uh, 72-62, that final score. But a quality opponent, no doubt about it. That's an attention getter for the nation, for K-State, to have that kind of a, a game to open up a regular season. And I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes some sort of a norm. Let's take a break. Let's continue on. I'll get more on that. Uh, what I was talking about earlier about K-State. Felt like just a rough day yesterday for the Cats, even though Naquan Tomlin came back. Probably need a cooler Jets. More of the game next. We're back on the game, and I'm just going to speak for myself here because I'm slipping into a mindset that I told myself last year I would never let happen again because it was pretty ridiculous, honestly. You probably know where I'm going, Troy. I can see it on your face. I do. Because yesterday was the door closing on those in the NBA draft process, their opportunity to jump out of that, return to their colleges, or transfer for one more year. That door closed yesterday at midnight. Keontae Johnson has decided to keep his name in, so his collegiate career is over. Naquan Tomlin yesterday says he's coming back. One more year with the Cats, and he's going to have himself an all-Big 12 first-team year. Maybe come a lottery pick. You never know what's going to happen mm-hmm. with Naquan Tomlin, but... I see. I personally see his potential being just through the roof as as raw and athletic as he is. I think that's only fair, right? To to not be surprised that he could go from a year of not being all Big Twelve, though he did, you know he had a couple of All Americans on that team, mm-hmm. to being a first teamer. I think it could absolutely happen. But that now officially leaves K State three spots open. That is not a surprise, right? That was expected. That Keontae would not come back. Naquan Tomlin would. Uh, it was originally just a couple of spots, but of course, you know, Ish Masood moving on. So it adds a third. Right. Or adds a fourth, rather. And, and uh, K-State adds uh, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry's a phenomenal player. I, but it's a thing. Like this, it, it happened this time last year. I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. 
But it's like, okay, there's like a recruiting lull, and this is mm-hmm. kind of a pivotal time because the, now the portal's closed. Now the NBA draft door has closed to opt out of that. And it, it's, been, it's been quiet. It's been quiet lately since Tyler Perry. There's been a visit, of course. Right. Uh, from the Tennessee Ford transfer. And um, so, of course, we wait on him, but he's moving quickly. He's moving quickly with this process. It's back-to-back-to-back-to-back visits in case it is in the mix with three other programs. But Ray J. Dennis, and I brought this up with D.Y. yesterday, the MAC player of the year has picked Baylor. But his name faded away a while back. Right. Like, he hadn't been in the conversation with K-State for a while. Yuri Collins was another player. That was a player that it was kind of thrown around like he might be one that K-State would pounce on if he did decide not to stick with the NBA. But the thing is, like, in the NBA draft, the thing is about Yuri Collins, he played at St. Louis. Uh, He was an 11.10 assist player per game. Wasn't the best shooter, but, man, could he dish the basketball. Mm -hmm. He was the one that kept Marquise Noel for most of the year away from being the top assist guy in college basketball. Yuri Collins was that guy for the Billikens. But he decided to stay in the NBA draft process, but he was not he was not a combine guy and he was also not a G League elite camp guy. Okay. So I thought that was very interesting that he decided to stay in and not come back for another year mm-hmm. of of college basketball. That could definitely be a money thing. It could be a, a number of things. Maybe he got a certain piece of advice. That kept him in uh, the the NBA draft. I don't know. I'm just trying not to overreact. It's this. It feels like with also uh, Ernest Uday. He picks. You know, it's down to three, right? It feels like it's K State, Duke, or TCU. Cats don't end up getting a visit. Instead, Uday, who has again a lot of high potential, um, just needs to clean up the fouling issue. So maybe he could play more than five minutes, <laughs> right? He doesn't visit K State and picks TCU. I don't, I don't know. I just I'm, you know I'm I'm on the outside looking in. Don't have a ton of behind the scenes knowledge. It just feels like it's been a little too quiet lately. But I don't think that's fair to put any criticism in that recruiting area on the staff because we felt this way this time last year. This way, a lot of us did, and I think it was a lot worse last year because we just didn't know the staff good enough just yet. Right. And that's because there was some underestimating. You got to stay away from that. Right. And I'm kind of just talking to myself here. Mitch, stay away from that because June was a very productive month for K-State recruiting. Plus, last year, they had a lot more spots to fill than just three. Right. And it's a matter of patience when, in a lot of ways, we don't have patience. I think David Gasson... uh, Tyke Green, Desi Sills, Abayami Ijiola. I think they were all additions mm-hmm. in the month of June. And Keontae didn't even pick K-State until August. Right. Yeah. Again, he just – and the thing is, like, Tang said that he wanted to add, I think he said three guys until Ish left. It was three guys at the time that – wanted guys that had had a ton of experience, could go out there and play 30 minutes. They have 90 games of experience. Found Tyler Perry. Three spots left. You're probably still looking for a couple more. Doesn't need to be three. Because remember, you have 
Dede Ames, R.J. Jones, Michaela Rich, three four-star freshmen coming in that next year. You don't want to put the weight on the shoulders or weight of the world on their shoulders. Right. That shouldn't be a thing. But they're ex- probably expected to be at least a couple of them at least to be productive this year. Let's not forget about Taj Manning, who registered last year. Let's not forget about Drell Colbert, who was mm-hmm. a block machine in the only time we ever got to see him, and in limited time was a block machine. And, and back to Taj, I mean, when it came to talking about practice and development, I don't think anybody got more praise than Taj Manning. Right. So let's keep all that in mind, that K-State still has a number of guys, which, by the way, Tyler Perry and the three freshmen going to be showing up this week because summer workouts start on Monday. They're all going to be here. <laughs> Remember, Desi Sills joined the Cats in June, officially right. like signed, but he didn't come into town until, what, October? So at least you're really not worried about that right now. But there's still a lot of time. I have patience. It, it helps. Yeah. It helps. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll finish up the hour. History made in poker yesterday. Coming up next. How are the Royals off two days in a row? They and St. Louis negotiated with the front office, uh, the league front office, because they were to have Memorial Day off and the Cardinals wanted the home game on Memorial Day. Hmm. Okay. Seems extremely rare. No, it is. It is. And it only became because they felt that they needed to honor Memorial Day better by having a game. In Los Angeles, and by the way, I, I don't know if you're a poker guy. I used to be a big poker guy. I don't really play anymore. Uh, but um, the World Series of Poker underway this week. But in Los Angeles is one of the most expensive cash games in America, and it's televised by the World Poker Tour, and it's called the Hustler Casino Live Million Dollar Game. Okay. And so a couple of pr- pros here, Tom Dwan and Wesley Fee, or Fi, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm not as, as familiar with him as I am. Tom Dwan got in themselves in a very expensive hand where we saw Wesley trying to bluff the whole way. Wesley had ace-king. Meanwhile, Tom Dewan had pocket queens. The board flops. Not a whole lot. Sure. But when you got to the turn in the river, you had uh, the best on the board of pair eights. So that left Tom Dewan with a two pair. And for, for Wesley, he has ace high. But he is bluffing the entire way. Bluff, 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 bluff. The pot is... After Tom Dwan called, after just sitting there for a couple of minutes, $3.1 million. Whoa. And he called. Tom Dwan won with the two pair. Wesley lost with ace high. So he lost a million and a half dollars just about on one hand. It was the biggest pot in televised poker history yesterday. $3.1 million. Now... You calling somebody's bluff is a hell of a poker play, especially with that kind of money on the line. Imagine if you're the other player. Are you regretting the bluff and giving up a million and a half dollars on one hand? Oh, I was telling Paul this earlier. Like once the green chips start coming into play and that's 25 bucks, 
I'm thinking maybe I should get out of here. This is too yeah. rich for my blood. Yeah. I'm used to $1, $2 blinds. This is $500 which that's another thing. $500 blinds, and the pot get up to $3.1 million. Oh. That is some serious betting. As a poker player just watching that, I'd be sweating. I, I just can't. Unreal. All right, hour two of the game. Going to feature Troy in Vegas. He has multiple parlays for us for NBA Finals Game 1 since his Denver Nuggets are in action. And K-State men's basketball in November will be taking on the Prince. Hour two next. So is your local news.